Sanctify literally means to be set apart as holy. You could use the word holy-fy with an H. H-O-L-I-F-Y. I don't think that's a real word. I just made it up. But the idea is that word sanctified, it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which literally means to be set apart. And we have to realize that you and I, because of who Jesus is, have been set apart. Set apart as distinct, as unique, as uncommon. Are you set apart from this world you live in? Today, Pastor Daniel will share how important it is to be different from others, sanctified, made holy. As sons and daughters of God, we need to reveal to others just how incredible it is to be part of his family. We need to love when hate is in charge. We need to stand for truth in the face of lies. We need to seek the lost in this world. All of this makes us different, but also reveals Jesus. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 3 with part 1 of his message, Crossing Over. Alright everyone, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, as we continue this study... Through the book of Joshua, we're calling this first series in the book of Joshua Conquest because all of the hopes and dreams of the children of Israel since the time of Abraham are coming into fulfillment in the beginning section of the book of Joshua. We're going to see this great climactic event in the book of Joshua, the crossing over of the Jordan River. You have to realize that this is the big event. Sure, there's all sorts of battles that need to take place after they cross over, but the children of Israel for the very first time are going to be walking in the inheritance that God had promised them all the way back in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what's important about this, I think, for us is that we have to remember that in order for us to experience God's inheritance, we have a part to play. And what you learn if you read your Bible is that the part that we play is in comparison quite small, but it's not inconsequential. See, what the children of Israel bring to them experiencing the inheritance that God wants to give them is they trust that God is going to do what he said. It sounds simple, right? But it's not simple because each one of us in the lives and the situations we find ourselves in, we have to choose, am I going to trust God? If God says that this is what he wants to do, am I going to believe that and step out in that? Or am I going to say, you know, I don't think that's possible. Like, God, it's all great that that's what you said you're going to do, but I don't really believe that you're going to do it. Because for the children of Israel, what was going on was that some 38 years earlier, God said, I'm delivering you from Egypt, I'm sending you to the promised land, and they didn't trust him. They didn't take him at his word. And that now delays what God was planning on doing the whole time anyway. And I think that's an important part because I don't believe that we should make an idol out of faith. Like, I don't really believe we need to say, Lord, I need more faith. Because if you read the Gospels, Jesus said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, which was a very small seed. So we don't need to have great faith. We need to have faith in a great God. 
And that is not like a little like cute saying. That's just like reality. That really, we don't need to say, Lord, give me more faith. But it's, Lord, give me faith in your greatness. That you can do anything. That you have a plan and a purpose. And that when you say, I want to do something, instead of us saying, well, Lord, you know, we, you need us to be your advisors on this thing. Because you don't really know what's going on. And, you know, there's all these things going on. We just say, Lord, okay, let it be according to your word. And we step out. I think one of the biggest lessons that I am constantly learning is my only job is to step out in faith. That's my only job. When God says, this is what I want to do, we just say, okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. That simple stepping out in faith. But what's beautiful is in this message, we see that it's time for the children of Israel to step into the inheritance that God has for them. So picking up verse one, Joshua chapter three, it says this. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they went up. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So right away we find that Joshua is a a man of action. It's one of the things that we love so much about who Joshua is. See, remember, in chapter 2, he sent out these two spies, and these two spies went on out, and they came on back, and they said, listen, God has given us great favor. The people of Jericho are already scared. Joshua hears the report. He's like, okay, time to go. And I love that. We call this simply responding to Jesus here at Crossroads. That is like, okay, let's go do it. And what's beautiful about it is because Joshua is a man of action, notice he rose up early in the morning. Now, I don't want you to miss this because I don't want to overstate the text, but the fact that Joshua was a man who got up early in the morning, I think is important. I always think of a quote that I heard by Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in England. He's known as the prince of preachers or English preachers. If you've ever read Spurgeon's sermons, he's really quite extraordinary in his eloquence. And I'm going to butcher the quote because he's eloquent and I'm me. And so I don't do eloquent. You guys know this, but I enjoy Spurgeon's eloquence. And he said, in effect, I will not look into the eyes of any other man before I first look into the eyes of God. His thing is that if I don't seek God first thing, if I don't connect with God and pray and get myself centered on who the Lord is, I don't want to see anybody else. Now, I think that's important because what you're doing when you're doing life that way is you're saying, I want to make sure that my eyes are on Jesus before they're on anything else. Now, I realize not everyone's a morning person and God knows I am not a morning person, you know, but what I've learned is that if I don't get my devotional time personally in the beginning of the day, oftentimes the day gets away from me. Am I the only one who's like that? It's just like, if I don't get it done in the morning, the chances of me getting to it later aren't as strong at all. And I want to connect with the Lord. So Joshua's up early. 
And it says that they set on out from Acacia Grove. Now, for those of you who read the King James Bible, it said they set on out from Shittim. And that's why you know it's Acacia Grove now. Anyway, it's coming. You'll get it. You'll get it later. So never mind. I'm just going to move past that. I'm just reading you the Bible. So what happens is, is they come to this area and now they're right on the edge of the Jordan River. Like they're right there. And sure enough, it says in verse two, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. So they moved from where they were and they spent three days there. Now someone is bound to say, you know, what's the significance of the three days? Because if you think about your Bible, obviously Jesus died and he was buried for three days. There's lots of three days. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days. And so I don't want to overstate the three days, but I think if you're one of those people who like to track down ideas in the Bible, do an exhausted Bible search on three days and see what you come up with. Because the Bible's amazing that way. I've been joking here lately. You know, if you think the Bible's boring, you're wrong. You're boring. You know, because the Bible's pretty awesome. And it's inexhaustible in what you can learn from it. And every time, and some of you are like, yeah, I do think the Bible's boring. No, you're boring. That's why I tell my kids all the time. When my kids say, Dad, I'm bored. I said, no, you're boring. That's why you're bored. There's some infinite things to do. And I'm here, so we can have fun all day. You know what I mean? And so the idea is that if you're one of those people, and I really want to encourage you to have fun with the scriptures. I mean, it's God's word, but there's so much for us to learn in it. So look at three days. Look at all the different instances of three days and how it plays and why it plays that way. I don't want to overstate it. They could have traveled. They just needed a couple days just to rest. It could be something as simple as that. But I did think that the fact that it was for three days was important. Now, when that happens, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, verse three, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So the idea here is that Ark of the Covenant is one of the most prominent features of the next two chapters. Because the Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, if you were with us back when we studied the book of Exodus from chapter 20 and following, you know, you find that the Ark of the Covenant was a piece of furniture. It was a box that had poles on it. It was completely overlaid with gold, right? And in that Ark went the two tablets of the law and went Aaron's rod that budded to prove that he was God's chosen priest. In it went a little jar with the manna. So they saved some Twinkies for the promised land. Just, but you know what I mean? Sorry. I can't resist. Anyway. And they had that jar of manna. And then they had that covering, which was called the mercy seat. Right? And then there was these two cherubim that were facing one another, that their wings were touching over it. And it was meant to be the sign for the children of Israel of the very presence of God. Now, within the tabernacle, that mobile worship tent that they had that ended up giving way to the temple at the time of Solomon, it sat what was called behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. And the only person who ever got to go in, once it got stationed in Jerusalem, was the high priest once a year with that blood offering. First, he made atonement for himself and then for the people. Now, the reason I tell you all this is because everything about the Ark of the Covenant points to Jesus. Because Jesus is the visible presence of God in the midst of the people. How do I know? Well, listen. So what's beautiful about this is that the Ark of the Covenant, what was inside of it? The law, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the only person who ever kept the law. Aaron's budded rod. Why? Because people didn't believe that Aaron was God's chosen priest. And God said, when you put all your rods together in the tabernacle of meeting, which everyone buds overnight, that's the one I've chosen. Why? Because Jesus is the high priest who God has chosen. The manna was in there. Why was the manna in there? Well, simply because Jesus is the bread of life. And what's beautiful is all of that was covered up 
All of this glory is covered up. And then you have these two angels overseeing it. And John's gospel is very powerful because at the death of Jesus, you got to imagine, so Jesus was brutalized on the cross, right? And then they wrapped him and they laid him on the slab. When they looked into the tomb that was empty, there was two angels sitting there. And you can imagine these two angels on either side with this blood-soaked slab. It's the most powerful picture of the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And you guys know, which is so powerful, that when Jesus died, that veil in the temple that separated the holy place where any priest could go from the holy of holies, that was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. All these details are so perfect. Why? Because God is saying, look, even though this was reserved for only the high priest with the blood sacrifice, now everyone can come. Everyone can come. So the Ark of the Covenant was designed for the children of Israel. That Until the Ark of the Covenant goes, they're not allowed to go. Why is that important? Because my friends, if Jesus is the Lord, you want him to lead your life. You don't want to lead your own life. And this is important because know what happens for all of us. Am I the only impatient person in the house? Can I get an Amen. that's right like we want to get things done and so what happens is we have a tendency to run out ahead of the lord but there's like no until the ark of the covenant goes until then you have to wait why because we want jesus to lead our lives i'm always reminded of what it says in romans chapter 8 where it says for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god or the sons and daughters of the children of god And we do not want to lead. We want to be led. And the greatest leaders are those who are willing to be led by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are you getting out ahead of Jesus today? Now, I know nobody ever wants to say, yeah, I am. But like, if we say, Lord, am I out ahead of you? We don't want to lag behind him either. We want to walk as Jesus would have us walk. But until the Ark of the Covenant went, the people were meant to stay put. Why? Because God wants to make sure he's leading this processional. Now, not only that, in verse 4, we learn something really fascinating. He says, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So what we find here is that there's supposed to be, once the Ark of the Covenant goes, no one is supposed to get too close to it. Now, a cubit is not a unit of measure we use today. But since you'll find it all over your Bible, I'm going to explain it to you. A cubit was, this was long before they had rulers and metric and all these different things. So all of the different units of measure were often common things. So a cubit was the distance between the tip of your middle finger and the crook of your elbow. So it's about a foot and a half. So when you see 2,000 cubits, it's about 3,000 feet. So they're supposed to keep this distance. Why? There's probably a couple of reasons. First, notice that in the text it says, Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for if you have not passed this way before. See, what he's saying is that you don't know where you're going. You've never been here, but the Lord knows where he's taking you. So make sure you don't miss where God's taking you. This is why it's important not to get out ahead of the Lord. To wait on him and say, Lord, I'm going to let you lead and I'm going to follow you. But also I think that there's this need for distance because I believe that God always wants to remind us of the sacredness of who he is and his holiness. See, they were not to have a casual or a careless intimacy with God, but they were meant to walk with a profound spirit of respect. 
Now, I think this is important because Jesus invites us not just to be servants, but to be friends. But we also have to remember who we're friends with. And I think that in our casual culture, it's become really common for people to talk about Jesus, who's like, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. You ever see that little guy? The thumbs up. Some of you guys have that on your windshield. Now, I think it's cute culturally, but Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So even though he's your friend, he's so much more than just your bro that you hang out with. Does that make sense? So we want to make sure that we experience all the intimacy and the deep friendship that we get to have. But we also realize who he is. You know, and it's funny. I'll give you a great example of this. So my dad is my dad, right? And so, you know, I'm 41. My dad's in his early 70s. And I remember when my dad first came to visit Crossroads, he's like, so do I have to call you pastor when I'm there? And I started laughing. And I'm like, well, I am your pastor, you know. You know, I was talking about my gift of sarcasm. And so it was, you know, coming out. And I remember, and I'm like, dad, no, it's like, I'm your son. But it was funny when he was here and he met people. He's like, well, you know, Pastor Daniel's my son. And I remember hearing me, I'm like, oh, you know, and I, I call, I'm like, I heard you call me Pastor Daniel. He's like, well, I realized that you're one of the pastors at Crossroads. And so I wanted to honor that office, but, you know, I still change your diapers, so I'm not going to call you pastor at all, <laughs> you know? And it was just a great moment because there's an intimacy of a relationship, but there is also the reality of who somebody is. And so you realize that oftentimes relationships exist in different spheres. And so we want to have the the deep friendship and intimacy. Like I've been thinking a lot about that where Jesus says, I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. When I read it, it really grabbed my heart because I started thinking to myself, when was the last time I heard someone say, I'm a friend of Jesus? Because it's one thing to be a follower of Jesus, it's another thing to be a friend of Jesus. And I started thinking, Jesus is like, no, I don't just call you servants, I call you friends. And so I'm like, do I consider myself a friend of Jesus? And it made me rethink the relationship a little bit. Because it's one thing to be a follower of Jesus. Another thing, yeah, I'm a friend of Jesus. And so in this case, they're meant to be reminded that God is the sovereign and holy creator and sustainer of all things. And that there is a separation. Now, obviously, this is before Jesus came and tore the veil. And so the relationship exists a little bit differently as now we get to call ourselves children of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But that distance is important. Now, and what's powerful is that Joshua, first the commanders go, the captains and the officers went, and then in verse 5, Joshua speaks, sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And that word sanctify literally means to be set apart as holy. You could use the word holy-fy with an H, H-O-L-I-F-Y. I don't think that's a real word. I just made it up. But the idea is that word sanctified, it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which literally means to be set apart. And we have to realize that you and I, because of who Jesus is, have been set apart. Set apart as distinct, as unique, as uncommon. I always use this example of this because I find it to be really powerful, especially as a parent of small kids. Some of you have fine dining china at your house, like the nice plates. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember someone's like, do you want china? I'm like, no. You know, because what am I going to do? I'm not a fine dining kind of guy. I just stick the food on. I don't care what it's on. I'll eat it off the table, right? Anyway, but it's like, so like if you're having like your six-year-old's birthday party, right? Do you serve pizza and hot dogs and cake on your fine china. 
Why not? Because it's fine china, right? You give them the paper plate. Sometimes you get them with a little character on it or whatever. Why? Because you know that if you give them something nice, they're going to break it. And you don't want to ruin something that's special. In the same way, if you are a friend of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are set apart for a specific usage. That china is designed for special occasions, for special meals, not for the common things. And the problem is today is many of us don't think of ourselves that way. We don't think of ourselves, I am not paper plates that get used once and tossed away. I am a son or daughter of God. And I'm set apart by him for very specific reasons, not just to be normal. I am not normal because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why as the followers of Jesus, we live differently because we realize we are not common anymore. And he says, look, I want you to set yourself apart. Why? Because God is going to do wondrous things among you. When I read that, I started to think to myself, I wonder if many of us don't experience the wondrous things that God wants to do in our lives because we're not setting ourselves apart. We're not choosing to say, I'm just not going to be like everybody else. I'm not going to think about myself the way everyone else does. I'm going to let the Bible inform it. I'm going to let Jesus inform that in my life. And when you choose to set yourself apart, you end up like Moses, who instead of setting up his tent within the camp, everyone's within the camp and Moses is setting up outside the camp. But Jesus, the Lord is meeting himself, not inside the camp, but outside the camp. And everyone's watching the glory of God come over Moses' tent and they're all being like, wow, but Moses is not where everyone else is. He's outside. And what I want to encourage you is I want you to live your life set apart in the midst of this world. Because I believe that Jesus wants to do a work in this generation unlike anything the world has ever seen. Why? Because we are one day closer to his return than we've ever been before. And I believe that unless we set ourselves apart, we will never be able to be in step with what he's doing. Too many of us want to think of ourselves as just like everybody else. And I'm here to tell you, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are completely set apart. Jesus is Are we set apart from the world, sanctified to do God's work here on earth? Pastor Daniel asked us to decide if this was the case today and to make some changes if the answer is no. As we learn from the Israelites, we need to be different from everyone around us. We need to have our primary focus always on God, then on what we can be doing for him to let as many people as possible know that he's king. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. 
and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. And my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel shares another incredible miracle that God performed in the aid of the Israelites. As they began their conquest of the land of Canaan, the people of Israel had to cross yet another body of water. It was deep, and under their own power, they would have struggled to get across. God, though, in an effort to remind them of who had the ultimate power, made a way as only he can. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Conquest. Until then, may God bless.